Hello and welcome. I'm Fernando, a GP in the UK. Today, we will go through the NICE guidance on the management of lower urinary tract symptoms in men, which I have summarized from a primary care perspective. So let's jump into it. And to appreciate fully the importance of this subject, let's have a look at this anonymous poem. As man draws near the common goal, can anything be sadder than he who, master of his soul, is servant to his bladder? And of course, we know that the prevalence and severity of male lower urinary tract symptoms, also known as LATs, increase with age, and although transurethral resection of the prostate is often effective, about a quarter of men have poor outcomes, and some failures can be attributed to an incorrect initial diagnosis. So let's start by talking about the conditions that can cause LATs in men. And in order to get the correct diagnosis, we should also remember the ancient Chinese proverb that says that the bladder is the mirror of the soul, and therefore LATs can result from not only bladder dysfunction or prostatic pathology, but also from a number of other causes, for example metabolic, hormonal, cardiac, respiratory, etc. And therefore, effective therapy depends on the accurate diagnosis of the underlying problem. Although the most common cause is benign prostate enlargement, which obstructs the bladder outlet, the term LATS is an umbrella term introduced to dispel the perception that male urinary symptoms are simply caused by prostate problems. Because other conditions, for example, detrusor muscle problems, prostatitis, UTIs, prostate cancer, neurological disease, can also cause LATS. We also need to be aware of the three stages of the bladder cycle, which are storage, during which filling of the bladder occurs, voiding, during which the bladder actively expels its content, and postmicturition immediately after voiding when the bladder returns to storage function. And as a result, LATs comprise three different types of symptoms. First, storage symptoms, normally causing daytime urinary frequency, nocturia, urgency, and urinary incontinence. Voiding symptoms, causing slow stream, spraying, intermittency, hesitancy, straining, and terminal dribbling and postmicturition symptoms, for example, sensation of incomplete emptying and postmicturition dribbling. In the management of male LATs, we need to understand that we're dealing with a complex functional unit comprising the bladder, bladder neck, prostate and urethra. LATs may result from a combination of factors and to avoid confusion we should use the correct clinical terms. So let's have a look at them. Benign prostatic hyperplasia, or BPH, should be reserved for histopathological prostate hyperplastic changes, that is, abnormality at the cell level. The prevalence of BPH increases with age, and whilst it is often associated with LATS, only 25-50% to 50% of men with BPH have symptoms. Benign prostatic enlargement refers to an increase in size of the prostate gland due to BPH, but only about half of men with hyperplasia will develop clinical enlargement. Bladder outlet obstruction is a urodynamically diagnosed condition characterized by increased detrusor pressure and reduced urine flow rate. Overactive bladder presents with urinary urgency with or without incontinence, usually with frequency and nocturia. 
overactive bladder does not include stress incontinence due to a weak sphincter or overflow incontinence due to chronic retention. And finally, detrusor overactivity is characterized by involuntary detrusor contractions during the bladder filling phase and occurs in about two-thirds of overactive bladder cases and in 50% of those with bladder outlet obstruction. There is also a clear association between LADS and sexual dysfunction, including erectile dysfunction, ejaculatory dysfunction, decreased sexual activity and decreased sexual desire. However, we will not cover this area in today's episode. At the initial assessment in general practice, we will review the current medication and take history and examination, including an examination of the abdomen, genitalia, a digital rectal examination, as well as a urine dipstick. We will check creatinine and EGFR if concerned about renal impairment, and we will give information and advice about PSA testing if their LATs are suggestive of bladder outlet obstruction, secondary to benign prostatic enlargement, or their prostate feels abnormal on digital rectal examination, or if they are concerned about prostate cancer. If there are bothersome LATs, we could ask the patient to complete a urinary frequency volume chart, and we will refer if the patient has not responded to the initial management or have complications such as UTIs, retention, renal impairment, or suspected urological cancer. For uncomplicated LADs, we will not routinely offer cystoscopy, imaging of the upper urinary tract, flow rate measurement, or a pulse void residual volume, although these investigations, as well as others, may be carried out following specialist referral. To assess response to treatment, we should use a validated symptom score, for example, the International Prostatism Symptom Score, or IPSS, before and after the intervention. There are online calculators that can facilitate this, and I have included a link in the episode description. As conservative management, we should offer advice on fluid intake and lifestyle measures, for example, cut down on fizzy drinks and drinks that contain alcohol or caffeine, avoid excessive drinking aiming for between 1.5 and 2 litres of fluid a day, and avoid constipation. If there is postmicturition dribble, we will advise how to perform urethral milking. If LADs are suggestive of overactive bladder, we should refer to local community continent services for supervised bladder training. We should refer to urology if there is stress urinary incontinence, but if stress urinary incontinence is caused by prostatectomy, we should offer supervised pelvic floor muscle training for at least three months, again via the local community incontinence services. For urinary incontinence, we will give them products, for example pads or collecting devices, while waiting for a definite management plan. External collecting devices, for example sheaths, appliances and pubic pressure urinals, should be used before indwelling catheterization. Intermittent bladder catheters should be considered before indwelling bladder catheters. Long-term indwelling catheters may be suitable when medical management has failed and surgery is not appropriate, and the patient is unable to manage intermittent self-catheterization, or there are skin problems aggravated by contact with urine, or the patient is distressed by bed and clothing changes. We will refer patients with symptoms of urinary retention and ensure that men with acute retention are catheterized urgently 
and that an alpha blocker is given before removal of the catheter. Checking creatinine and imaging of the upper urinary tract is recommended for chronic urinary retention and surgery or permanent catheterization will be guided by urology services. Drug treatment will be offered only when conservative management has been unsuccessful, after taking into account comorbidities and current medication. Drug treatment may be guided by urology, but in summary, we should be aware of the following. An alpha blocker like alfusazine, doxazosin, tamsulosin or terazosin can be offered to men with moderate to severe LADS. An anticholinergic can be given if there are symptoms of an overactive bladder. A 5-alpha reductase inhibitor such as finasteride can be given if LADS are present with a prostate estimated to be larger than 30 grams or a PSA level greater than 1.4. A combination of an alpha blocker and a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor can be given if they have both moderate to severe LADS and a prostate estimate to be larger than 30 grams or a PSA level greater than 1.4. An anticholinergic as well as an alpha blocker can be given if there are storage symptoms such as daytime urinary frequency, nocturia, urgency and urinary incontinence after treatment with an alpha blocker alone. A late afternoon loop diuretic may be offered if there is nocturnal polyuria, although this is an unlicensed indication. Oral desmopressin may be offered to men with nocturnal polyuria if other medical causes have been excluded and they have not benefited from other treatments. This is also an unlicensed indication and sodium should be measured three days after the first dose and desmopressin should be stopped if sodium is below the normal range. We need to be aware that medical conditions that can cause nocturnal polyuria include diabetes mellitus, diabetes insipidus, adrenal insufficiency, hypercalcemia, liver failure, polyuric renal failure, chronic heart failure, obstructive apnea, dependent edema, pyelonephritis, chronic venous stasis, and sickle cell anemia. Equally, medications that can cause nocturnal polyuria symptoms include calcium channel blockers, diuretics, and SSRIs. We will review patients regularly to monitor symptoms and medication. We will review men taking alpha blockers at 4 to 6 weeks and then every 6 to 12 months. We will review men taking 5 alpha reductase inhibitors at 3 to 6 months and then every 6 to 12 months. And we will review men taking anticholinergics every 4 to 6 weeks until symptoms are stable and then every 6 to 12 months. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember that this is not medical advice and it's only my summary and my interpretation of the guideline. You must always use your clinical judgment. Thank you for listening and goodbye.